This is Conversations About Adoption, and I'm your host, Jen. For today's episode, I had a conversation with a woman named Natalie Montaigne. She was born in Colombia and adopted out to Norway. Um, And it's interesting, I've never spoken to anybody from Norway before, so we had a pretty long and in-depth conversation about adoption in Norway, how it's handled there. Um, She's actually a social worker in Norway as well. So it was a really, really interesting conversation. Again, it runs long, but it's really hard to put a time limit on an organic conversation with somebody. And that's what this podcast is. Very minimal editing. It's like listening in on a, basically, that is what it is. It's listening in on a Zoom call, call conversation between myself and my guests. So I hope this format works for people and that wherever you're listening to podcasts, if you have to stop when you resume, it's in the same place. I know how it is when podcasts are lengthy. It can seem intimidating to start it and be like, I'm not going to have time to finish it. I do that myself when I'm driving to go, you know, to the town that's a half hour away. I'll look for a half hour podcast. But you can listen to these in chunks. And I hope that you do because we cover so many different things. And sometimes it's not adoption. Sometimes it's life stuff. But as adoptees, our entire lives are affected by adoption. So it's not entirely out of place either. Um, With that being said, please don't forget, at the end of the episodes, there are places often where you can either respond to a poll, sometimes they expire. um, But then there's also a, a feedback. And I've been trying to change that to different things like writing prompts where you could perhaps like write a little something about if you related to the guest in any way. Um, also, I finally reorganized my episodes. They should be showing up on Spotify. You may have to refresh your feed. So the way I have organized it is um, all of the things before 2022 are season one. And then everything in 2022 was season two, and everything this year is going to be season three, and then they're numbered sequentially. So that way, it'll be a little easier for people to find their episodes, um, other than, you know, looking for the first name, obviously, is how I've had it right now. So today's episode with Natalie, it's the 30th one that I have recorded. Um, So this is season three, episode 30. And I hope that you enjoy it and leave some feedback. Thanks. All right. And I am speaking to Natalie all the way over in Norway. Yes. Hi. Hi. So how are you today? I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Exhausted a little bit from the heat and a little bit uh, from everything and adoption. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How's that that effect on people? Yeah, it does. So you are an international and transracial adoptee? Yes, that's right. I'm adopted from Colombia, uh, from Bogota uh, to Norway. So I'm born in 88 and I was adopted in 89. So I was nine months old when I came to Norway. Yeah. You know, it's a coincidence, but I think you might be like the fourth Colombian adoptee I've had on here I'm not sure I think I think Shell is she's I think she's half Colombian and um Mark 
who is uh he's a transgender international adopt he's also colombian so it's interesting there's like a lot of colombian adoptees it seems you know yeah i believe that uh at least to my knowledge that colombia is one of the countries who there are most adoptees from not necessarily the country with the most but there's yeah. a lot of yeah colombian adoptees and in a norwegian context mm. I think also uh, Colombia is one of the countries where most are adopted from, especially in the 80s and the 90s and in the beginning of the 2000s. But yeah, so there's a lot of us. I don't really know much about adoption in other countries and how it functions outside of like the baby scope history so is adoption in norway really common like it is in the united states mm, inter-country adoption there it has been decreasing uh a lot <laughs> altogether at the moment i think there's around twenty thousand adoptees like from not in-country adoptees um mm-hmm. in norway and yeah, I think that's about the amount. So, and in Norway, uh, I'm not sure the entire population at the moment, but I think we are somewhat 5 million something. So in a world context, we don't have, there's not many people like in the country itself. Um, so I'm not, so I would say to right now, I wouldn't say that adoption is as, normal as it used to be but it seems um i mean the u.s obviously it's a bigger country it's a every so i don't know if it's really to be compared gotcha but it was more common to uh, adopt in the 80s 90s and the early 2000s and so there's less adoptions now yeah interesting interesting is there are there like a lot of adoption agencies or like is there a you know, a push for adoption like there is here, you know, there's huge agencies and, you know, if you're a, you know, they overturned um, Roe versus Wade last year. So they're making yeah. it much more difficult to get adoption or abortions and things like that. Cause they, and you know, they're counting on those being babies available for adoption and things like that. So yeah, that's, um, that's really disturbing. I would hope Norway is not quite that way. <laughs> uh, no, in terms of, uh, the adoption system in that way it is not as as I see it I feel like from what I see in mm-hmm. different communities from American stuff it feels like it's more almost advertised and there's all these Facebook pages and whatnot about adoption and it's all this as if you see a commercial on the television or something yeah. like that yeah in Norway it is not quite like that so in that sense it is very different yeah from america in norway there are three uh adoption agencies um and they adopt from somewhat different countries and those are the only one who are allowed to administer adoptions and then there is um Right now, I can't remember the English translation of it, but there is the agencies and then there's the state. Um... Like social workers, social services? Yes. 
that that do the home visits and make the social reports and all of that. I so, see. yeah. Very and then in Norway, I think, I mean, of course, it's not free here either. So yeah. um, I had it, uh, what it was in dollars right now. I can't remember, but I think from, depending on which agency you use, I believe it is from about, hold on a second, uh, $19,607 US dollars, like for the cheapest agency Okay. Um, per child. And the most expensive one is 23342 US dollars. Whoa. And that's, yeah, and that's to, according to their pages at least, <laughs> to administer administer fees, you know, gotcha. and to register applications yeah. and to translate documents. And if you adopt siblings, there's an additional cost huh. per child. Uh, so there's money. Yeah, 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 of course. course. And um, in 1992 in Norway, mm -hmm. some adoptive parents, some politicians and the adoption agencies, they fought for uh, like financial adoption support, like a refund for adoptive mm -hmm. parents. And the intention behind that was because it's so expensive to adopt. Yeah, so they have it. They have a tax credit here in the United States. If you adopt, I think you get something like a $14,000 tax credit. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they do that here. I mean, too. the, yeah, they do. I, I think it's, I, I find it, I don't even know what word to use, but rather peculiar. It's so, because in many instances, there's this narrative that, oh, let's save all these babies from their poor first parents and yes. then oh wait we need a little bit of refund because it's so expensive to adopt right and the actual amount has varied throughout the years but currently it is eleven thousand and seventy five us dollars so they get that refunded when the child comes to norway wow. and meanwhile adoptees no one is surprised, I assume, but we have no financial rights whatsoever. So if we want to do DNA tests or or go on a reunification trip, something like that, it is up to the adoptee themselves yeah, to yeah. fund that. So I find it horrific, to say the least. It's, uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's get back to your story. So did you... Yeah. Um, did you grow up with any siblings in your family? Did your adoptive parents have any biological children or adopt other children? They um, they got one while they were in the process of also getting me. So oh. my, um, my mother, she did not, yeah, come to pick me up with my dad because she was then home with a two-month-old baby ah uh yeah so that my brother is biological to my parents okay and as most I say most because not all 
um, I I use the word transnational adoptee, but not all transnational adoptees in Norway are from what can I say, like non-white countries, because there are some from Poland, some from Russia, but uh, I don't believe I exaggerate if I say that most are from non-white countries. So there are mostly people of color and therefore most of us are adopted into white families. Yeah, And uh, so was I. And I also grew up in an area in Oslo which is the capital in Norway and where I live, uh, mm. which is largely white. So yeah. there was not many like me when I grew up, not yeah. in the environment around me. And of, of course, not in my family either. Yeah. Is Norway predominantly white, I guess, the nation? Yes. Other than the people adopted in, basically? Yeah, largely Norwegian is a very white country. However like from the 90s and up to now there are it's, it is a multicultural country and at least in the larger cities mm-hmm. but as a whole I would say that it's a very white country yes <laughs> I just I yeah. don't know much about it I I've seen these articles that talk about how Norway is this like great place to live you know um, like excellent benefits for the people and things like that but that's pretty much that and it's really far north <laughs> yeah that's all i know it's terrible like i'm like most americans if it's like not on this side of the planet i'm kind of you know don't know a whole lot i'm also i don't know how much you know about my story but i'm also a i struggle with how to put it uh i sometimes it's like trans ethnic or transracial adoptee because like obviously Mm. i'm white as can be but i was adopted by a mexican mom and um so it's it's a big part of who I am like I eat a lot more rice than like potatoes like (laughs) you know and (laughs) I have I have Latino artifacts around my house I have um uh, Aztec calendars and let me see if I'll angle it that painting up there on the wall behind me that came from a Mexican marketplace it's really cool I looked into the history of it my adoptive dad was Spaniard um his mom came to the states from madrid when she was 11 so he was like first generation and um they met in mexico and they bought that painting down there and it's by a spanish artist who used to summer in mexico all the time so it's kind of cool because it's like a convergence of their two you know cultures in that painting yeah and um but yeah, and I make Mexican food and all that kind of stuff. So I, I got a lot of the culture I would not have had by being raised, you know, and my mom was the only one here in the States. So we went back to Mexico pretty often when I was a child. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I learned Spanish. It was like sink or swim. If you want to play with your cousins, you've got to learn how to speak Spanish. Yeah. I'm jealous. <laughs> I speak Spanish. Lo siento. But um, I know I often like, I have this weird like, it's a weird kind of like survivor's guilt or something. Yeah. I don't know what other label to apply to it because here I am, white as can be, and I got exposed to all this Latino culture. And then there's all these Latino adoptees raised in white <laughs> yeah. families and completely disconnected from it. Yeah. Um, it's really something, you know? Yeah. My kid loves tacos. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a pretty regular thing here for us and yeah it's just yeah 
And but it's interesting because all of my extended family that's in Mexico, like I use social media to stay in touch with them and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting for sure. Um, yeah, because my biological family, when I did my DNA, it's all European English whales. Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, when, okay, so you were nine months old when you were adopted and then you grew up with a brother right away. That's amazing. Was yeah. it a good thing? It's, I mean, your mom had her hands full with two little ones that close in age, I'm sure. Well, uh, uh good question. I haven't thought about whether that specifically was a good thing or not. And also um i'm a bit they are also obviously not here to speak for themselves but sure. i am glad that i grew up with someone yeah and i also kind of want to be careful not to say too much about their situation because they can't answer to it sure, but sure. what i can say is that i in my opinion and this is not something uh, that I would be shy of telling them either and it has nothing to do with my brother specifically as a person but all things considered I don't think that getting an adopted child into the family and then also having a you know two month old yeah uh, I think that could have been done a little bit differently gotcha. but besides that i'm i'm I, I suppose like happy i i grew up with someone but it's more so when because there's some history behind there that i would essentially be happy to tell but as long as they can't like defend themselves um, right right uh i am not so comfortable of sort of re revealing that but there is some things and they know this that there is some things and choices that they made during the adoption process that I think that they shouldn't have I gotcha and uh, uh, that according to regulations that they literally shouldn't have <laughs> so um, but yeah it has um and I, I think that there is um, a lot about being adopted for me and how it has affected me that I haven't realized until I came out of so-called adoption fog. Oh, so yeah. in my early 30s. And then I've had this moment like, whoa, whoa. Yep. <laughs> and it's, um, it's like, wow, that's... Uh... And I suppose there's <laughs> many different ways of being in the fog. And my way of being in it now that I'm more out of it, was more like, it was not so much that, oh, adoption is beautiful or something like that. It was more so, okay, I'm adopted. <laughs> and I the, didn't the like... Deal. yeah. I didn't think about adoption per se, whether I figured it was good or bad or anything. I just was. It just was, And yeah. then a few years back, I started to... I suppose there was a person I have on my Facebook who was, like, very critical and then I started feeling really provoked, like that, oh my God, you know, this angry adoptee, like relax a little bit. And then I thought, okay, uh, why do I feel 
so irritated and provoked by that? Yeah. Is it either because I just fundamentally disagree, which is okay, if I do, then fine. Or is it because it challenges something in me that I haven't really reflected upon or or really put an effort into to read about or try to understand? Mm-hmm. And then there is one of my closest friends. She's also adopted from Colombia and she has also been critical of adoption much longer than I have. And I started paying a bit more attention to her. And the reason why is she was not necessarily less critical than the other person, but the way she put it forward was more edible for me in a sense. It wasn't, I didn't perceive it as a like so harsh in a sense (laughs) so I was able to process it more uh it's like I compare it to if you want to tell me something and you want to be very like clear in your message yeah I don't hear you any better because you scream it's kind of like that so she opened my eyes to that and now I'm like very critical (laughs) myself so I'm I'm very changed in that way. And, and of course, that makes me, you know, as I mentioned, open my eyes to how adoption has affected me. And personally, I'm not saying that I consider adoption a trauma. Just oh, yeah. as adoption, yes. And then now being a critic of adoption, in my experience, and I'm sure I'm not alone, often... I'm not out there to do, I'm not a missionary, like, oh, I'm going to change people's minds. I just speak my, you know, perspective and then you can hear it or don't. (laughs) (laughs) But I often get, I find that being critical about adoption is being reduced to, at least in my experience, oh, I'm so sorry, you had a bad experience. Uh And that annoys me. And I try to say, well, I am not critiquing people's experience of being adopted. I am critiquing the system. Yep. And those are two different things. And yep. I try to tell them that there are adoptees who are happy they were adopted, who had a good, had and have a good relationship with their adoptive parents, yet they are very critical with the system. And it's a hard thing to separate. I get that because we are adopted, but there I would say there's a difference between talking about the adoption as a system and how one personally may feel affected or not by it I the way I look at it there's two traumas there is like maternal separation is a trauma and then being stuck with strangers is another trauma for an infant or a child that is like you know I mean you don't have the language to communicate what you're going through. No. You know, you can't like defend yourself. You have no say. It's just what's being done. And like a lot of times I feel like the adoptees themselves in the situation are an afterthought. In that moment, nobody's thinking about what effect it has on the child. It's like, oh, I want a baby, you know, mm, and that's yeah. all they're thinking about. It's all about them and it's not child centered and it, it really isn't. I I went through um, reunion in 2001 when I was 30 years old. Um, 
I started looking when I was about 24, but didn't really know how to do it. I started with online reunion registries and things like that. And I was fortunate enough to come across um, an early uh, adoption support group in my local area that was organized by a birth mom. And um, so I learned about adoption industry from this group and learn the truth about the baby scoop i had no idea that my mom didn't have a choice you know and it really really opened my eyes so i've been advocating for what i call you know changing the false narrative of adoption because there's been yeah. so much propaganda in society with books and movies and 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 everything and it's either like this amazing, fantastical, romanticized story, or it's a new yeah. story of like an adoptee that like killed somebody. Or, you know what I mean? It's it's like, and anytime that you're speaking about adoption to like the general public, I, I do like TikTok videos and things like that. You know, you always get pushback. And it's like you say, yeah. I'm sorry, you had such a bad experience. And it's like, <laughs> sometimes I'll say, and before you assume I had a bad experience, I, you know, my parents could have done things better that yes, they made mistakes. They're human, but it's not about that. It's about stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and the system yeah, is absolutely. fucked. <laughs> you know yeah yeah I mean, it that's is the word <laughs> i agree and and yeah, like, i absolutely agree yeah so it's it's really quite a situation so you how long ago um you know did you do a search did you do dna and things like that or or what well, were you did, at in the process my uh well i uh found my family I don't even know what month it is. Let me see. Okay. So about three <laughs> months ago. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, I, for me, like throughout my yeah, childhood and teenage years and early adulthood, I, it has been a thought like, okay, I want to find my, try to find my biological family, but I cannot say that I have had this urge right. like this. I have to like, it was more so let me try and mm-hmm. then let's mm-hmm. see what happens kind of so I think in 2006 or 2007 I hired a woman she's uh, she is I think originally from the Netherlands but she lived many years in Colombia and she has done like this you know tv shows reunion things so I hired I didn't attend the show but I hired her and she kept on looking for like four years or so but didn't find anything and then I thought, okay. <laughs> and then uh, in 2019, I it was completely random, but I came across this page on Facebook for, well, adoptees from Colombia, like worldwide. Yeah. And also biological families can post there. So oh. I made a post there and I thought, okay, that's like the last thing I'll try to do. And there was a lot of likes and a lot of comments but nothing of you know importance and then last year i took a dna test my heritage but nothing really showed up so the 8th of april this year yeah i received like two messages on messenger from two different people and they had seen the post like randomly that day and just a few hours later i had the first video call 
uh, with my mom and her, well, it's my second cousin, but you know what? Everyone call everyone is everyone's cousins. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, so it was my mom and her and my second cousin. Uh, he calls himself her cousin, and he was with us because he speaks English. Oh wow! And in the first video call, I also had one of my closest friends. Um, well, the one who who made me open my eyes. Yeah, uh, yeah. That I told about. Um, and she didn't have any role in it except just being there to listen and I told my mom and my second cousin about her first and asked if it if it was okay and she was simply there to because she speaks way more Spanish than I do so she was just there to verify if the translation was accurate so that nothing was added or subtracted or changed or something like that and moral after the conversation, yeah and after she was like yeah the translation was it was accurate. Nothing was added. Not, so all good. So after that, I haven't used her in a, for a conversation. So yeah, and that first conversation lasted about, it was a video call, about two hours. Wow. Wow. So, so do you look like your mom? Yeah. Yeah. We are... I can I'll, I can send you a a, a photo uh, in the in, a, in an email afterwards. But I yeah we are very much alike um yeah we are and that's so cool and she that's when I've learned I don't know exactly what it was but I have like from reading my papers mm -hmm. I just had a thought ah something is iffy here but I couldn't quite there was no way for me to understand exactly what and I think what made me question like is even if that's not an uncommon occurrence, it appears um, that the woman who handed me over to the orphanage when I was two days old said that her name was my mother's name, but she oh. couldn't identify herself. And I know many other adoptees have it like that as well. And okay, maybe a person didn't have any idea, but also I was born at a clinic. So why didn't you bring like any documentation from the clinic or the hospital to give to the orphanage if you couldn't at least ID yourself? And yeah. that's when I just felt like something is weird, but I felt like there is no way for me to know what's what yeah. unless or if <laughs> I actually ever get to talk to my mom. And and then I did, and she told me, we've had like four different video calls, and she cannot read or write, so mm -hmm. uh, we also send voice messages, and I spend hours and hours to translate them in Google Translate. Oh, wow. Uh, that's very draining, to say the least, but what she says is that um, she worked like as a... Um, housekeeper I suppose in different families in Bogota and her, my father was her first like boyfriend serious relationship and when she was when she got pregnant she told him but he didn't want to be a father she tells me she's not like she does she does not resent him and she says he was a very nice man and he never did or said anything like bad towards me 
and I think he also had some other women on the side and she knew that but he, she was like no nah, it's not for me to be like three people so she she left him and then she went to like a maternity home mm-hmm. and uh According to my papers, she came there about a month before I was born. And then she tells me, then you were born. But uh, when I gave birth, I gave birth behind the curtain. I suppose kind of like what you get when you do a C-section. Yeah. And she said, and after you were born, I never saw you. Wow. There was just someone who came in and told me, uh, you have a daughter. And her name is Nuri Montano. So she didn't give me that name. They gave it to me on her behalf. And then they said, um, and but she's dead. <gasps> and she was like, well, I, I want to see my daughter. I mean, obviously, there's not nothing uncommon with seeing your child, even if your child is stillborn. Yeah, and yeah. Of course, she was not allowed to see me because I was not dead. So... Wow, uh, and she like I begged and begged, but they they said no, and and she told me like that's my life stopped. Wow, then. and from that point on, I felt like broken, and well, now it's maybe about two months ago or so. I got my papers from my case file in Colombia. And there's a few papers there in that case file that is not in my adoption papers in Norway. Hmm. And one of them is, uh, well, I I would translate into consent to adopt. So where it says about the information, uh, what what is the legal implication with adoption and where you're supposed to sign it, like my mother's consent. Um. And, And, but she told me, uh, even before I got the paper myself, like I, I never. First of all, I I didn't know like what is adoption, and no one yeah. ever told me what it was. And even if they did, I wouldn't want to adopt you. She said yes. I was in a very hard situation back then, like financially, but and I quote, she said, even if I had to work in the streets of Bogota to have you I would have done like anything oh and I asked her to your knowledge did they because she told me that they they gave her a paper that they wanted her to sign but first of all she can't write so she can't like sign anything like in letters and then I got my case file from from Colombia so I asked her about that paper and she said because there is it says my mother's name written in a blue pen and she has not written that because she cannot write and then next to it there's a fingerprint and of course people who can't write can give fingerprints and she said that yes that is my fingerprint but I thought that I fingerprinted your death certificate and of course it's like uh and she's like they they never read to me what was in the paper or explained that to me and I was like, man, that's that's fucked up. And um, and then as a mother, she feels guilty. I am a mother myself. So if something happens to my child, even if it's not so-called my fault, 
you can easily get guilt by thinking, oh, I should have prevented it. Oh, I should, or, or all of these things. And she was like over, overwhelmed with guilt. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for what I did to you. And I was like, so we would spend a lot of time trying to tell her that as a mother, I understand your feeling of guilt, but also this is in no shape or form your fault by any means. You were the most gruesome way you were tricked. Yeah, uh, she was exploited. It, it is, yeah, absolutely. And and in the paper itself, um, well, it says my mother's name who could not identify herself. And then it says who was born on 17th of November, 1966, but her birthday is not in November, it's in September. And the town that it says that my, I now say so-called mother was born. Yeah. That is also not correct. And I asked my mother permission to read her the paper about like her social background. Yeah. And she said that most of it is correct, except the city I was born in. And because it says in my papers that my father raped her and so i thought oh damn i i can't say i've struggled so much with thinking that i might be a result of a rape but more so thinking that my mother was raped you know because i'm a sexual assault survivor myself not by family just to to say that and she's like that is not true True. and it also says that her mother uh abused her and she said that is also not true and of course i can only speculate because who knows but something leads me to believe that there is even if other information about her social background is accurate there's details added to it so it makes me more adoptable like oh my god coming from this you know poor background wow. and the mother who was raped and that's just at least that was what makes the most sense to me and uh yeah so my mother told me just told me like probably 500 times she was like i never 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 saw you and after i gave birth to you i was there about at the clinic that is for about 15 days or so before i contacted the people i worked at and got my like last salary and then i went back to the hometown where you know our family is from so that's like um the background story and she I am she got three kids after me so I have a sibling who is 28 and I'm 20, 34 and then there is one who just turned 24 and then there is one who was unfortunately killed when he was 21. Mm. So, yeah, and she, she was like, this is, you know, you wrote to me uh, when I first sent you an email, invited myself to your podcast, you wrote, I told you a little bit about it. And you said that must be over overwhelming. And I replied something like, I'm not sure that overwhelming is the word I would use and I think that uh, I mean 
it doesn't make it less horrible, but I think the way the matter of fact, at least for now, have affected myself and my mother is very different. Because mm-hmm. she has like cried a lot and she cried a lot in the first video call and also the second. And I was sitting there a little bit like, what am, when are my tears going to, to like come? When am I going to get like a breakdown or something? And then I noticed and I understand it. And I do understand that it comes from a good place. But when I sort of published on Facebook, uh the photo of me and my mom and I asked for her consent that's very important to me a lot of the comments were like oh my god you must be feeling so for instance sad or so empty or so overwhelmed or so this and so that and then I was like huh well actually I don't feel most of those things and then I was in the situation where I was like is something wrong you were not me am I supposed to feel like that because and I know people mean well but then it sort of got to me that is it in this reunion situation I feel like there's an expected way to react in a sense so I felt a little bit wrong per se for not feeling all of those overwhelming feelings and it's not that I don't feel anything yeah but it's not like on these for instance tv shows you see with reunions and everyone is like they're like falling apart and maybe it's the way I defend myself or maybe it's not but I try to just accept what is and then let what come come yeah and if if it doesn't then it doesn't and obviously now there is there is uh phones and computers so there's the distance itself and maybe it will have a different effect when I one day hopefully uh get to go to Colombia and meet in person and maybe that will because in person is obviously very different right it's it is a for a lot of people it's a big experience I don't know if it's so much an expectation but the people that you're hearing that from you know if they went through a reunion it might be just like that was their experience and like for Mm -hmm. me uh, it was so my very first my my biological mother was deceased whenever um I got the call from the intermediary uh that she had spoken to my grandparents so she gave me my grandmother's phone number and said she's waiting to hear from you and that was our first conversation and uh so many emotions i you know i went 30 years not knowing anything i didn't even have paperwork you know because mm. completely closed adoption the only thing i was told was your parents were teenagers you know from the north hills area of pittsburgh and that's all i knew until i started doing now i know everything but you know yeah. it took a lot to get there well not everything but i know as much as i possibly can i'll put it that way um mm-hmm. I, uh, it was like so many emotions happening at once. I can't even label them. And that's where like, to me, overwhelming applies because that's, to me, that's what overwhelming is. Like I'm feeling so much that I just can't. And then the other thing I, I tend to like tell people about when they're about to go through reunion is to be gentle with yourself 
and allow plenty of time for processing. And you might still be mm. processing all of this information. You know, I mean, it, it's it is a lot to find out that your mother thought you were dead, you know, and, you know, but it could also just be your personal approach to life where, you know, you're just at a place of acceptance and, you know, you take things at face value. You know, everybody's yeah, everybody's unique and that's that's what makes the world go around, you know. So yeah, don't feel true. bad about not having the feelings everybody else has, you know. No, because- I, I put that aside a, a, a little bit. So it's not as fun. If anything, I felt more overwhelmed by that than <laughs> yeah. the actual, actually. And it sounds, I mean, I I can't know. But in my head, I also think that if I had not come out of the fog, at yeah. least, I mean, that is also like a journey. So I haven't reached an end point. But I feel like if I was where I was at before I started to come out of the fog, and then I learned the same matter of facts as I have now. Yeah. I think I might have reacted differently or felt more shocked. I don't know about the actual cost yeah. Yeah, of my adoption. And I felt more like, for me, I felt like, huh, another situation like this. It's like, I feel like it's not unique. It's not like, oh my, oh my god did that happen I, fe- I feel more uh oh wow uh, if an adoption is according to rules and regulations I'm I'm against it either way but yeah so I I I don't know but I think that might have something to do to with, do with it and if anything what has come to my mind is like it's so strange for me to think about that on one side of the world I've been dead for 34 years yeah. and on and he, and on my side of the world I have been very much alive so that is what's like that's a strange Paradox. you know feeling yeah. to have and as a mother I cannot even as a mother I cannot actually I can even just remotely try to imagine how it feels to lose a child or in this instance, think you lost a child, but you know what you know. So then, yeah. and not even just to add on top of that, it's like, okay, you're you're told your child is stillborn, but you still, you cannot see it. So therefore you cannot bury your own child even. Yeah. And the name your child has, is not yours to give. I mean, they didn't even... I mean, either way, it's of course wrong, but they didn't even say like, your your child, you have a daughter, your child is stillborn. Would you like to give her right. a name? They didn't even do that. It's like, they just it's took so, control. It's so, ugh, it's so it's ugly. to me. And it's ugly. Yeah. There's, I mean, that's, it's, that's, it's happened so much with adoption, that whole, yeah. like that trickery. It's crazy. There was a Dr. Hicks, um, I forget what state he was in right at the moment, um, but he did this for many years, maybe decades, where a woman would give birth, he would tell her the baby died, and then he would sell the baby to another couple out the back door. And like Georgia Tan, 
had helpers that were dressed like nurses and they would go into the hospitals and when a baby was born, they would go in and snatch them. And then the mother was told, you know, your baby died. And she would be like, well, I want to see my baby. And they were like, well, because you're poor, the state already put the baby in the ground. And I mean, it's happened so many times. It's criminal. You know, the emotional torture, like. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you don't even get to, I mean, obviously you don't, you don't get to get some sort of closure because it is a lie, but just in the lie, you don't even get to, there's like, you get nothing. Yeah. Essentially. And it's, and the orphanage, I'm, uh, yeah, so I came to Los Pacingos. That's like one of the big private orphanages in, in Bogota. Yeah. Uh, and those have been the Norwegian government do like this travels to supervise the adoption system and they make reports and I got all the reports that they made so I read through them and not only in Colombia and the first report I have is from 88 and the last one is from 2017 and I think there's five altogether where Colombia is mentioned at least so far and the orphanage where I'm from is one of the orphanages throughout most of the reports where they are critiqued for very high donations from adoptive parents. Mm. And the Norwegian government has been concerned about that, yet they have continued to use them. And on the Colombian side of things, there has been some in the media throughout the years where there Las Pacingos license to do adoptions were suspended uh, for some time due to that exact fact, high donations where they found that some of uh, uh, some of the donations, I think like one third of the donations have been transferred to accounts overseas like Cayman Island, uh panama miami new york and where the leader at the time of the orphanage had also bought you know things for private use such as phones and stuff like that and it's so yeah it's uh it's a lot of yeah it's a lot of i I don't even have a word for it in norway the government here they recently and by recently i mean in january um after a lot of pushback like from people who have been activists and in doing this for way longer than i have but to do an external investigation of the adoption practices and then uh, no we we don't believe that there is any systematic like fault in in the adoption system and adoptions to Norway and we're like well <laughs> and then we there are like several individual stories from different countries who has been in the media mm-hmm. and then like yes and like, that is very sad and it's all tragic but that's kind of just separate individual cases but allegedly it says nothing about the system and then one of our big media outlets they made uh, an episode like 45 minutes about the system and the host of that show he said oh there were two they were like we have a completely completely different view 
of adoption now than we had when we started because we thought of it as the classic, you know, oh, it's a win-win thing, uh, but no. And, and then one of our, the biggest newspapers in Norway, they made like a series of like really showing all the cases systematically. They covered South Korea, for instance, and Ecuador and, and they're planning on something more. And then, you know, the state department that is ahead of these matters said like, okay, we'll do an internal assessment on whether we need to do an external investigation. And activists were like, eh, no, that is an absolute no. That is like saying, uh, let's say um, a producer of milk is going to investigate or look into whether milk is good or bad. It's like, that, that, right. there's no point. So we're like, that is an absolute, absolute no. And then, um, and then um, a leader of an organizational, an organization called UTOMT, which is like, it's a region word, but it translates into international adoptees and another leader for an organization called romanticized immigration we're going to meet um this representative from the state in a debate on the news and strategically five minutes because what they wanted to focus on is the external investigation and five minutes before they were going into the studio she said, we are doing an external investigation. <laughs> so that was strategic. So now they are going to start that from the fall. Wow. And we have been very, they have been getting suggestions from some of the activists who have been doing this for a long time, who they should be have having in the group who is going to investigate, such as, I think there's uh a lawyer who is specialized on human trafficking and all of this. So there's a lot of legal, you know, people. And then they're trying to make a reference group and we hope to get, well, the organizations um, to be a part of that group. And also maybe psychologists who specializes on trauma and, and, uh, migration stress and and these matters so we are we are a little bit yay but also a little bit um let's see about this <laughs> where this <laughs> yeah. where this leads to and i mean several european countries have done investigations not all of them external investigations but regardless in all of the countries who have done these investigations they have found illicit and illegal practices and from the same countries Norway have also adopted from in the same time period so it's like no <laughs> it's, it's a no-go so yeah we they have been given a time frame up to two years um so we'll see how I, how this will go I don't think they'll ever do anything like that here like we, you know, like I've seen bills put forth in the federal government where they're like, we need to do surveys, adoption satisfaction surveys. And in my mind, I'm like, who are you asking? You know, because you know, they're going to ask the adoptive parents, not the adoptees. Yeah. 
And it's like, hello, you know, we're the ones that actually, you know, live live the experience of being adopted. So maybe you should ask us how we feel about it. You know, that's the problem here as well. Like all these reports and whatnot on how are our adoptees health or how is it this and that adoptees. It's like we're talked about, yeah, but not with. And those who are speaking about adoption and the aftermath of that is mostly and in essence non-adopted people or adoptive parents yep and we are also like like you say like well hello yeah we're <laughs> the afterthought to say. it's it's crazy yeah. how that is though like it's in the states you know it, it's like the infant is the commodity i see these videos on social media where these adoptive parents are getting to meet their newborn child and everybody's commenting about how beautiful it is and in my mind i'm thinking that infant is experiencing a trauma because their mom is not there and they're probably not gonna be with her again and then let's all forget about you know maybe a couple doors down the hallway there's a woman crying her eyes out because you know like nobody's thinking about the big picture they're just thinking oh these people got what they wanted it's beautiful and it's like yeah it's a baby yeah like i um, remember i don't know how many years ago it was but and i know it's over six years it doesn't matter but at least six years or more back i came to the airport with my family to meet like extended family Uh who had just brought back to adoptive kids from a south american country and we were standing at the airport in the arrival you know hall and there they come you know with their Uh trolleys with the kids on it and i remember i didn't cry like out loud but i cried loud inside and then when i came home i cried and i and it wasn't the other people cried too but they cried as i saw it like oh my god they're finally here it's like yay but I, when I cried, I felt in me that it's not a sentimental type of cry. Like, oh, how beautiful. But for the life of me, I did not understand then what is it. Because it didn't feel like a, that's maybe the wrong way to say it, but a good kind of cry. Like when you're happy for something. It was like grief probably. And then now I realized that probably I just felt like, wow, that is so excuse my French, but like, fuck that. It's like, here are these two little people like traveled all this and it has nothing to do with honestly how good these adoptive parents are or not. I just, I just think that now I saw the situation I was in myself like yeah. many, many, many years ago right in front of me. And it's absurd in yeah. a way. Like, sure they are happy okay be happy and not saying that but again about the bigger pictures like here we are standing with our flags and we're applauding we're all like yay and then who knows what happened you know on Over there. the other side of that is like and i think i have realized that that's what happened for me like just recently because i've been reflecting on that situation and it's so well damn it it, it, it is <laughs> Yeah, and and me who was adopted at nine months. It is funny how selective people can be. I mean, there's been people close to me. I can say, at least in my family, I can say that much, who has said, well, you were adopted when you were a baby. 
So, you know, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't affect you that much. And oh, I was like, that's such bullshit. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's that blank bullshit. slate theory. Yeah. And I've, and, and the person who said this, I said, well, oh, pisses me off. No one would say that, let's say, a uh, nine months old biological child. Uh, no one would suggest that the nine months that baby has lived doesn't matter for shit. It's like, right. Of course it matters. And everyone knows it, but it appears that when it comes to adoptees, many people are like, well, it doesn't count for them. And everyone knows that even life in the womb matters, of course, for development. But, oh, we kind of forgot about that a little bit too. Yeah. See, and it, it, it annoys the living crap out of me. And this, this is, and it's not that it surprises me, but it just, it's like, wait, what? It's like, you're in my family and you're, how can, it's like, is this something you tell yourself so you can live with whatever? Or what's the deal here? And it's, yeah. Um, and I, I think it's so, and I, I, I tell them that it's not like I was born out of the engine of a Boeing once the plane landed and there I was falling out of the sky and nothing had happened before that that's not how it works yeah and it is so funny what I noticed now that I'm out of the fog and we gather usually my parents are um, divorced but every other Christmas we are usually have like a dinner at one of my family members on my mother's side's place and one of her children now adult as well not adopted but uh is born on christmas eve so there's like this tradition that every year or every other year we hear about the birth story as if we never heard it before and that's all (laughs) you know i'm not i'm nothing against that but like the christmas two years ago it was she told the same story again and then my brother was there and my mom wasn't there at the, at the time. So my aunt was like, oh, I remember when you was born. And then everyone was like, oh, how cute. And then asked questions. And then two of my cousins, they had their partners there, which I just met. So it's like, yeah, and I'm adopted. And everyone just went quiet. It was so strange. It was like, obviously, my family members know I'm adopted. But no one seemed as my word, but interested in a sense it, it just went quiet and everybody just looked strange that's how I felt maybe because all of a sudden if, you're realizing they're sharing like this birth story and you don't really have one you know yeah maybe I don't know but it's not like this is the first year that it has happened and my family obviously knows that I'm adopted yeah but it was something in just it just shifted mm-hmm. and it's so yeah, and it, yeah, the, the fog thing is like, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> in the weak moments, I say, like, oh, it's very peaceful and calm in there, like being in, yeah, like it's nothing, but now it's like, oh, all of these rude awakenings. And on our national day in Norway, that's 17th of May. So this year, I went to my dad and his, uh, his girlfriend, I love her. And we were like a, a big gang of people. And the daughter of my dad's girlfriend, not their kid, um, she brought home 
her boyfriend for us to meet for the first time. Uh, and he's from England, not really relevant, but the moment he came in, I was like, I was startled because he is also a person of color. And in my family, I am the only person of color. Yeah. But then it just, I just realized how it sounds, it makes sense in my head. It sounds weird to say it, but then I realized how black I am in my white family when I felt like, oh, like, what? Another person like me in a family context, yeah. like in society at large. And I have friends that are people of color, but that was like, I was like, wow, I'm not alone. And I felt very, I was, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was taken aback by that a little bit. So do that you, speaks volumes. Do you feel like you had um like any identity issues growing up because of, you know, of course, the lack of genetic mirroring, but also the racial difference? Do you feel like you were treated differently by your parents or by society at large based on race? I don't know if racism is a big issue in Norway or not. You know, like I said, I don't know much about it. Not in the same way I perceive it to be in the U.S., but definitely yeah, there's issues. But yeah. not in, it doesn't manifest in the same way, I think. But yes, um, I think I am not sure if I can point out for instance within my family that I was treated differently because of my color maybe rather the I call it the classical lack of actually acknowledging that I am not like you and I am not suggesting that every person of color definitely will experience this or that uh, but most definitely just by the color we are more likely to and to experience something that my adoptive family will never ever have to relate to because mm -hmm. they are not black so they were more like oh we don't see color and you are like that you know that kind of thing and i didn't when i grew up and as a child i was like oh yeah cool that's nice but now that i know more about you know about that also like then it's like yeah that was not so looking back I think I felt more different than I knew that I did at the time if that made any sense I just yeah. kind of existed but of course there's been things that I've experienced that they have never it's this classical thing of well now I've really short hair but I my when my hair grows out it's an afro so it's like the touching of my hair or men saying to me oh I want to try you meaning having sex with me because you're black and I've heard that people like you are so good in a bed I hear people like oh my you, god like your yeah there's like that's ugly Whoa. and yeah and my dream is to be like around the Christmas table when we gather to say like, raise your hand, everyone who has experienced and then just line up all of the things <laughs> I'm experiencing. With, and I would be shut down quite immediately. I'm pretty sure because that would be too uncomfortable. And now that I reflect on it as I've, you know, I'm more aware myself. It's like no one has ever in my family that is asked me, you know, how 
And okay, one can say, well, back then we didn't, but you know, years pass and you're allowed to, you know, learn or you can give a shit about it and not learn. But no one has ever asked me like, how is it to be a person of color in our white family or in this white society? And I experienced, I remember in primary school, there was uh, a boy in my class. He one day came to my where I was sitting with a plastic bag over his head. And then he said, I wouldn't even kiss you with this plastic bag over my head because you're a N-word. I oh. do not never say that word. And he used to like, when we were sliding in the winter, he used to push me down, you know, and my, my parents were good at, you know, I told them that and they were, they were dealing with it. And so I'm happy about that. But I think they were very, which is not uncommon. And I don't perceive it as malintent, just like ignorance. And it says in my adoption papers, when the social worker, you know, asked them questions, like how it's a question that's something like, what are your thoughts about or something, how it may be for uh, an international adoptee growing up in the Norwegian society. And then I read it as specifically because I would be of a different color. And it's like, oh, we don't see any issues with that. It's like, okay. And maybe in the 80s, people were even more, I don't know, but it hasn't like changed. So yeah, so when I see places, and now I have more friends who are also people of color, of course, but then I feel, then I notice how home mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. And I sort of try to hug my so-called inner child and say, I'm sorry you didn't get this ethnic mirroring or that no yeah. one really put their effort into making it happen you know as as a child now that I'm an adult I do it myself but so that like in hindsight that irritates me yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. I yeah it's weird I like I did not go through any of that identity stuff because I grew up here in the states you know my mom was the odd one out um however like it was I did have like an identity thing when when we were when I was little we went to Mexico like every other year and when I was 14 my sister got married she was nine years older she was their biological child and um she got married and moved to California so after that our family vacations went from going to Mexico every other year to going to California so I hadn't been back in some time And after my um, dad passed away, my mom and I went back to Mexico for the first time when I was 20. And, you know, I know all my first cousins, but all the extended family, I don't know that well. And I hadn't seen them since Mm -hmm. I was like 11. And we were at my grandmother's apartment and my mom's cousins were coming to see her and they didn't know me or remember me or I I don't know but my mom you know she like was introducing me to all these cousins of hers and they're looking at me like you know (laughs) I felt like I had an extra eyeball here or something like they all kept looking at me weird you know 
and like how what you know and I always grew up explaining myself I always felt like I had to explain myself so I'd be like yeah my mom's Mexican and again it would get that I would get that blank stare like what how you know but it really hit me that time when I was you know 20 it was just like I felt so out of place and then it was worse because when we went into the markets um they they kind of not cat call but they call people you know they call to people hey come to my booth and shop and they yeah, would be yeah. saying you know which is like hey blondie come over here what do you want to buy and i'm like can we buy a box of brown hair dye and you know like i <laughs> yeah, i felt so yeah. uncomfortable because i don't like standing out anywhere and um it was just a really weird experience and i felt like i got a snippet a very small sample of what it must be like for people of color who are adopted into white families for their whole lives you know yeah and it's like it's very uncomfortable yeah that, that's a word to use and and it's almost as if i don't know but there's i mean obviously the very specific encounters i've had has been uncomfortable but at large i'm almost i don't know if happy is the right word but it's like um I'm a little bit happy that I was not that aware when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, because I'm like, damn. I mean, but now I'm like, I, I just like, my eyes are so <laughs> open to yeah. things. It's like, I mean, hell, I've been, and to say to, I mean, I, I know that the intent is like, it's well meant, but now to me, it just sounds absurd, for instance, mm -hmm by to say to me uh, for instance in my family like well it's like we you're like us it's like hell i'm not like not in any almost shape or form i am not it's yeah. like and as the younger i mean i understand that the intention is probably to just okay you're you're one of us in the sense that okay we're a family we're a unit but now again that my eyes are more open I still see it as okay the intention was good but it's just absurd yeah it is like no our just like no colorblindness does not and, work it does not no work. and it's um and there is one again I'm I'm not avoiding mentioning specifics because I, it is a secret. It is just, I'm very, I want people to be able to also talk for themselves. But let's sure. just say there is a very close uh, person in my family, like the inner layer of the onion, mm -hmm. who I spoke to earlier this year, I believe it was about, well, my adoption. And I, I, um, the person said something like, and this was before I, I talked to my family or I met or talked to my biological family. And the person said something like, well, your mom like was poor and your dad didn't know about you. We were talking about like the nature of adoption. And yeah, yeah. I was like, so you're saying I was saved? <laughs> and the person said well no that's not what i'm saying and i was like well kind of sounds like it 
I think it is. And it definitely sounds like it. Yeah. And then I, I was like, okay, let, let me bring it closer to home. So maybe you can get the perspective that way. Let's say, I mean, life can happen to anybody. Yeah. So let's say you, uh, for whatever reason, became poor relative to Norwegian context. There's uh, poor families here as well. And you struggle to get the ends meet and maybe you can't eat so that your child can eat and whatnot, all of these things. Would you then say that if someone came to you and said, oh, you know what? I think that the best solution here is that your child is adopted. And that means that the child will be sent to the other side of the world and you and the child will lose all the rights to each other. And it's also very likely that the child will entirely change their name mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they will they're likely to to um to get a completely new language and then i just listed up all of these actual consequences that adoption have and i was like do you think that that seems like a reasonable (laughs) so-called solution if life went to shit and the person was flabbergasted actually quite irritated with me and said something like that is awful such an awful thing to say how can you say that and I was like well proves my point doesn't it all of a sudden it doesn't sound such a a good you know choice or or option when we put it in closer to home for you yeah so maybe we can then apply it to people outside of yourself as well what should have been happening is that you should have been given the help to be able to keep the family together. Yep, family preservation. And uh, then I was just like, <laughs> yep. the person was not happy with me. And the very same person, I don't have Instagram anymore, but I had it last year. And it's not for this specific reason that I'm about to mention, but also there I posted a lot of, you know, adoption or critical things about adoption. Mm-hmm. And the person just randomly called me and was like, how can you do this? How can you like be so terrible to post all these things and blah, 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 blah. And then I said, I'm not, I don't have the capacity to listen to this today. Goodbye. And that conversation ended. And now that I've found my biological family, and it's not like I had a pause with posting things on Facebook in between about the doctor system. It is also, oh, this is so horrible like what your mother experienced and I didn't know any about these things that these things happened and I was like why <laughs> why is that <laughs> it is so yeah I mean yeah so I'm just all all the credit to all the, the activists out there who yeah, share their stories or speak their minds or share their perspectives on it because it's an sometimes it feels like for me at least an ungrateful place to be in. It's a it's a lot of pushback and um yep. Yep, yeah. there's lots of pushback regularly. I mean, people say the most horrible things to us and it's like, wait, like if you're pro adoption, aren't you supposed to care about the kids? Like I 
I don't understand this disconnect where, you know, if they're supposed to be like saving kids, then why are they saying nasty things to the kids that are now grown up and trying to tell them this system is shit? And they're like, well, you're just ungrateful or, you know, would you have rather been aborted or would you have rather been left in a dumpster? And like, there are all these hand responses that people say to us. And it's, it's like, like you could make a textbook of responses that they say, such as that, would yeah. you rather been this or whatever. Somebody made an, an adoptee bingo card that has all these little phrases on it <laughs> wow. with things that people say to us. And it's like, yeah, why is the only solution death or a dumpster or adoption? Like what, you know, like. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> like <laughs> with the, with the aborted thing like would you rather be aborted personally and this is a whole for many another political but personally i believe that the choice to have the option to abort if that's to do abortion if that's what you want to do is a matter of taking care of women's health yeah and if i was aborted i wouldn't know because i would be dead so why would i care so why would i care about that and then you have the the dictomy of of oh uh oh you came here to Norway and you got the opportunity to free education and free healthcare and you list all of these things which I am grateful for but I'm not grateful for that because I am adopted right and on the other side of that it's like the things you mentioned now look you're here if you were there you would have been poor you would have been this and then you feel like wait a minute then the associations made here is first of all you're making a situation of them and us where us have the power of definition of what's good and what's not right and the association with the birth country is well just bad meaning poor or death or all of this horrible situation whereas here is all good and well yeah and i recently spoke to journalists where i said that adoption is not a matter of okay poor or not poor yeah and sure i have all of these great things but who gets to define that that is the ultimate like level of greatness right for instance you can adopt it or not you can be in a family who you are well taken care of uh like for instance financially material things like you have a roof over your head you get an education or whatnot but if you're not well taken care of for instance emotionally and relation wise then how i don't care if i have like a million dollars or all the things I want if I don't have like I don't have my family and now that I found them sure of course we are blood related but due to adoption they're just as much strangers so I am a stranger to my own family just as they are a stranger to me and there is in no shape or form possible to sort of oh let's just like speed it up here and get to know each other and and take back those 34 years it's simply not possible you can't and you're also not a parent of course and they want the same way with an adult Mm -hmm. as you are with a child so there was someone saying to me 
uh, well, oh, now now she like gets to be a mother, and I'm not saying that I get what they're what they're saying, but for me personally, I feel like yeah, but also no, yeah, <laughs> because um, mothering for anyone, like I said, as an adult, is completely different. Mm -hmm. But also, we are also strangers, and yeah. we live like half a world apart. Yeah, and my entire childhood was was lost like with her and now I have to spend the rest of my or at least rest of her life to to try to sort of catch up. I don't know gather what can be gathered and even yeah. sometimes in reunions there is no guarantee no. that that is going to happen either yeah sometimes yep. it just fizzle fizzles out for specific reasons or non-specific reasons or so there's not like yeah there's it's not like I'm starting from a blank slate. Yeah, right. And it seems like many believe that. It's like, yeah, you found it. And then now just let's forget about the rest. And, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. No, it, it's true. Like, I I just met my um, paternal aunts last year. Oh. And um, I was invited. They have, like, a family reunion every 4th of July. The one paternal side of my family and it was amazing to go there and meet everybody but i didn't know anyone and it's crazy because i'm there and i'm looking and i'm i am related to almost everybody here don't know any of them you know yeah. other than like my dad and my sister you know because we've spent some time together but still that's like all that time lost you know and my dad and i our relationship it's like yeah he's my biological father yes i do call him dad now but he wasn't my dad that raised me and he can never be because i'm an adult okay. now you know like that was my dad yeah. who raised me and he was great and i love him and i miss him all the time but like it's just never going to be the same thing you know we strictly have an adult relationship and even yeah. then it's like kind of at arm's length it's mostly texting and you know in some phone calls and occasionally we see each other he didn't know i was going to be at that family reunion last year and he was like well there you are and then he just like walked past me and went on to <laughs> well hello there okay. yeah yeah and oh, it was wow. just like yeah. okay you know it's just it's all like my favorite word for reunion is awkward like it's yeah, all that's a good word for it, it is. awkward <laughs> You know, there's, it doesn't feel necessarily natural and normal like it should. With my sister, um, she is like 17 or 18 years younger than me, which is really crazy, but I, I adore her. She's like mm -hmm. my favorite person. We're a lot more alike than I'm like my adoptive sister. And, yeah. um, but even then, like we, you know, we only see each other a couple of times a year. It's very natural when we're together um more so than it has been with anybody and so i'm glad for that but like i have all this family and there's only like one person that i feel that connection with you know yeah it's just it's a lot yeah i'm excited <laughs> to see how all of that falls out if I, I, sometimes i'm not sure if i'm gonna say if or when i go to Colombia because for me it's mostly i know i want to go but for me it's yeah. a matter of well you know the finances yes um but yeah, and my family over there, I also recently actually found my father. I never really, uh, 
if anything, between the two, I never thought about much finding him. But yeah. And I found my mother and she's like, I haven't talked to him since back then. But if you came to Colombia, I remember exactly where he used to live. So I could take you there. Wow. And then I just decided to make a post on the same itch where yeah. I connected with my mother's side of the family. And that is just, I don't know, two, three weeks ago or so. Oh, and wow. it took a day before oh. someone contacted me and that was like my half siblings I have only half siblings because my mom and dad never got any more kids together wow and then I got like a photo photos of my dad and I sent them to my mother and just like yeah that's him and one of my half siblings <laughs> wow. on my dad's side he wrote to me and we both used we wrote to, to each other in English but both used like google well I can write English but he used google translate but he wrote like, yeah, your mom actually got a hold of your dad like a week ago. And I was like, she did not tell me that. So I was like, <laughs> okay, before I go batshit crazy, let me just, I'm a social worker. So sometimes I try to say, I, I tell myself I need to take out the social worker in me. So I I sent her a question and I, I told her, well, my half brother on my father's side tells me, and this was the day that I found connected with my father's family. He tells me that you found my father a week ago. Is this correct? <laughs> I asked. And she said, yes, uh, that's correct. And the reason I didn't tell you is because, and she had like, I think she got like, ah, she got a little bit stuck under thought herself because when we started talking about my dad, it's like, maybe I should try to find him. And she had just found him via other people than other people. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, I talked to him, but he blocked me. So, um, so I was, and I wanted to try to see if I could get to talk to him again. And the reason why I didn't tell you was I was scared that he would do the same to you or not like be nice to you. Yeah. And so I, I, I just told her, right, okay, so you were like just trying to protect, protect me. me. Yeah. And and the point here was not that you were never going to tell me. It's just that you wanted to, you know, Be and sure. then and then that was a non-issue. My dad doesn't want to be in touch, but also he didn't want to be a father back then. And personally, I feel no type of way about it. Yeah. It is more so now I know what he looks like. I know he exists and I know that I have a lot of have siblings on his side too. I think there's five. Wow. So six with me on, on his side. And then on my mother's side, we are, well, I, I count the one who is dead also. So we're four all together. So there's a lot of people. And on my mom's side, I think, because her parents, my grandparents, they are not together anymore. They're separated. And they had a lot of kids on their side. So I think she she like listed them all. And I think I have like 18 aunts and uncles all together only on her side. So Latino my families family, are pretty big. <laughs> yeah, they're really, really big. I mean, my family in Colombia, even I assume just on my mother's side, is larger than my entire Norwegian family all together it's like it's it's um it's crazy and i cannot i do not whatsoever look like my dad i think i have his hair and maybe his like jawline yeah but my uh 
my looks is definitely definitely from my mother and I cannot exactly pinpoint what there is something about her that I feel like huh I feel like I'm a lot like her personality wise interesting and I can't again I can't point exactly oh it's this it's just a feeling yeah I understand it yeah and of course my sister and I are a lot alike you know yeah you do that's that's Great. And I think that's amazing because I feel, I mean, everyone in family or not are, are of course different, but they're, for me, when I observe my adoptive family, at least the closer circle, for instance, like my dad, my mom, my brother, my aunt, like, yeah, then I feel like they have, besides maybe their appearance, it is just something about them that is more like and I feel I'm alike them. And again, yeah. I cannot always pinpoint what it is. I just, yeah. in social settings and all that, I just notice it. I feel it. I don't know if it's type of humor, the way they communicate or what they're interested in or what we talk about. Yeah. But I feel so different in a sense. Well, but here's- with my mom. I saw this, this really cool thing. I don't know if you saw the video I put up with the hands the other day. But it, it's yeah. such a yeah, good I saw depiction it. I saw it. of like the interlacing your fingers yeah. and then switching them to like what's not not. And it's like that is like that's kind of it. You know, it, it just it looks the same, you know, from the outside, but it feels totally different to you. And yeah, it, it's it's a really it was amazing. Like that little demonstration. I'm like, wow, that is a really good thing. It's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I watched that video over and over again and just like yeah that that makes sense and and there is certain things and maybe some things just is maybe they're not that deep and all that but just with my I just call him my uncle now but he is my second cousin like I mentioned yeah. earlier the one yeah. who has been attending the video calls and it's just I I because he have been assisting a lot and sometimes helping me translate the longer voice messages from my mother because it takes hours to do it in google translate because it only translates a little bit at the time mm. um That's hard. and the other day i texted him like because i i told him weeks before that again that when i come to colombia i'm gonna buy you a few beers and i mentioned beer specifically not because alcohol is so important but i just saw him drink some colombian beers in a photo and the not too long ago i i wrote him i'm i appreciate so much like how much time you dedicate to this and he also accompanied my half sister to call it to do a dna test like at one and a half weeks ago or something mm-hmm. and i was like i appreciate it so much uh i owe you many beers now and he was like <laughs> He's like, yeah, you do. And I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Like in a humorous sense of way. Yeah, yeah. And just that way of, that is just my kind of humor. I can talk like that. And it's, but that's not a way I communicate with my adoptive family at all. And I'm not talking about mentioning beer specifically. It is just more so the, the feel. I, the feel I, I always can explain it because it makes a sense in my head but it's just like I don't joke with my adoptive family like that they may like joke with each other and have like 
And sometimes I ah, I, I just don't understand it. And I remember there's been situations where they said like, oh, why are you not laughing? It's like, well, because I don't find it funny. Maybe. Like with nature <laughs> versus nurture, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. And uh, I just graduated from school with a bachelor's in social work myself. And in the psychology classes, you know, in the textbooks, if you look up adoption, all I ever talked about was like the twin studies that were highly unethical and then nature versus nurture. And it's so, I feel in my case, I am way more like my nature than I am like the nurture. You know, I am. Oh, that is a wonderful way to say it. Oh, you gave me good words to use now (laughs) so i can sort of make sense of it yeah yeah i i'm more like my biological family in in so many ways you know like i tend to be extremely sarcastic and my parents like they were like "Eh," you know and here i meet my dad and he was like yeah i was so sarcastic when i was a kid i had to change my personality so i could be around people and i'm like interesting (laughs) and my kid is like super sarcastic as well like it's like it runs deep. <laughs> yeah, well, just... wow, that was a good way to, to say it. I don't know if I've, I've I've identified like with more other family members from my bio- biological side, but at least there's just with my mother and him because those are the ones I've talked to most. And yeah, you mentioned earlier, like in reunions, like take care of yourself. And one of the boundaries I've set very early on. Mm-hmm is um that is also i mean for me i think it's of course important in a reunion situation but it's also largely about how i am as a person and my capacity to deal with things but i remember after it was a saturday when i first like found my mother and talked to her and then when i woke up sunday morning on whatsapp I had text messages from like 15 different people, like all in my family, because of course they're, I understand why. So I understand it, but they were happy, like, oh, here is, and my mother hadn't talked a lot about what happened back then, only with like very, very few people. Yeah. And it's like, here's the last chance. So everyone's like, oh, hey, I'm your aunt, I'm your uncle, I'm this and that. And I was like, oh, that was overwhelming again that was more overwhelming than the actual conversation and everything with my mom and I was like that made me like choke a little bit so I I responded to a few of them but I told um well the one I call my uncle now that uh I tried to respond to as many people as I can but what if you talk to someone or if someone asks about my number yeah please say that respectfully i it is not that i do don't wish to be in touch yeah but i don't have the capacity mentally or emotionally to try to get to know so many people it's impossible for me i cannot do it and i would like my focus uh, for the time being and going forward to be mainly on my mother yeah and now also my uncle and and very sporadically other people because yeah that overwhelmed me because I was like ah, I, I understand it but again I'm I felt like I'm, I'm one person yes and they're like hundreds of people and yeah. everyone want to get to know me I but totally they're get very, that. that's a good boundary 
Yeah, and they're very respectful. And when I say it now, I sound very surprised, maybe. But and I don't know what they think in their heads. But no one has reacted like I suppose negatively That's towards good. me. But in in well, <clears throat> with other people and in this side of the world here in Norway, I experienced that boundaries. I mean, people can choose to not respect boundaries. Yeah. But I get more, not more pushback, well, pushback from setting yeah. boundaries rather than, okay, and you may not like it, like, in your head, but they're like, okay, I understand that. And <clears throat> my mother says that people try to contact me to ask for your number. But she's like, I tell them, no. Not that the time we need time for us to get to know each other, and that's great. I will let you know when. And I was like, oh, she sounds like me in the way she like. It. She also sets boundaries and also respects them, and she's very. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's so awesome. That's, that's great. So one last question. Um, yeah, it's very easy to talk to you, and. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a stupid American, but I'm going to say your English is fantastic. And I just have a question. Do they teach you English in school when you're growing up? Or did you choose to learn it as a second language later on? Like, no, they, we, we learn it in school. I think they start already in second grade. Okay. That's yeah, really good. They also, do that in Mexico too. Yeah, they do that. Oh, that's great. And also English is like in Norway, it's, there's, I say we're very, maybe not just Americanized, that sounds weird to say, but it's very, it's like we have all the, I went to LA like in 2014 and there was an American asking me, I went on a hike in Runyon Canyon and there was an American asking me, so do you guys know about Kanye West in Norway? And I was like, no, we have no idea who that is. And that was a joke. I was being sarcastic because I'm also very sarcastic. So <laughs> I mean, we have, English is like, English is such a big part of, I wouldn't call it, it is not so big that it's like a second language in mm -hmm. Norway, but it's so common in, in television and music, we have all of it. So there yeah. is sneaking into the Norwegian language itself, at least teenagers and young adults use English words. And I do it sometimes you know myself yeah so yeah yeah that's very yeah maybe we're... because you learned you know two languages when you were young you might be able to pick up spanish pretty easily you know you've already got like that mental flexibility uh, i hope so but that is there's something called oh i can remember what the exact phrase was so don't my well, the one who opened my eyes, she, oh, there's a phrase for it. I cannot for the life of me remember it, but it's something about um, like a trauma related to language. Oh. So that she told me like uh, she was adopted when she was five years old. Okay. Uh, and so she had the language, but she lost it. Yeah. And when she went back to Colombia, yeah. At first she was like, nope. Like she couldn't she could speak a little bit and she understood more. And then and she is like, I've tried to, to sort of learn Spanish before it clicked 
when she went back again. Yeah. But but it did not work. I couldn't sit and learn and read it, but I learned, I tried to learn Japanese and much other languages, which was like, okay, I can do that. But to, there was something about the capacity to, to, to learn in terms of sitting down, reading a book and, and learning that way. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll ask her uh, about what the phrase was and I can send it to you, but yeah. I hope that what I, what I know is that I can understand much more Spanish mm-hmm. than I can speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the good thing is that now I have people to practice with. Yeah. But also I noticed that I, I haven't also in my, you know, growing up, I've never had the deep like urge to I must learn Spanish right because I'm adopted from Colombia and if anything many other adoptees have told me when when one talks about like oh where do you consider you're from and all of that and I say I'm adopted from Colombia and it's like oh you 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 have to learn Spanish and then I get a little bit defensive like why do I have to yeah because you're and all of that. So I never had that urge. And I can't say that that urge in and of itself has been woken in me because yeah. I found my family. But I see it more so as a necessity in yeah. a sense. Yeah. At and this point for the then it's term. harder for me to learn because then I feel like and this in a way, I feel like this sounds petty somehow. But then I feel like it's harder for me to learn when I feel like it's something I have to do <laughs> rather than it's something that is a burning passion in me and I think <laughs> course, I also yeah. am a bit my claws are a bit out because I think it angers me like the adoption itself made me lose that language yeah. and there is no one who saw it as their task to oh wait a minute we should make sure that she is able to speak Spanish and Norwegian right so I think there is some resistance in me on that. So I'm a bit. <laughs> I can understand uh, that. I do. Yeah. I can understand that. So my last question I was going to ask about was how, well, did you tell your adoptive parents about finding your biological family and, and what was the outcome of that? How did it affect them? Did they have strong feelings about it or anything? And again, if you don't want to speak for people who have to, it's just like what you've observed. Well, or- then it's more of what I have done or not done to, or told them about. But yes, I told them. And honestly, oh, this sounds very cold when I say it like this. But there is other people knew that I found them before they did, to okay. put it that way. And when after a few weeks, I asked my um, biological mother's consent to put out picture of us obviously there's a picture of her and a picture of me I put together so there's not a picture of us per se but I hadn't told my adoptive parents yet and I felt like okay I am not you know stone cold so I felt like I should tell them before I didn't want them to know from Facebook I mean yeah, right I, that's yeah I was like that didn't feel okay so I I sent them a message on messenger Mm-hmm. like a joint message and saying I found my mother and I can't even remember what I wrote specifically and um 
I actually cannot remember, but yes, I I did tell them, and then I I wrote at the time that right now I do not wish to speak more in detail about it, but I will let you guys know when I am ready. And yeah, I, I believe I included that she was told I was said, like it's a summary of the situation, and they both replied some sort of like, okay, that's what has happened is is horrible and all of that and i and generally i know that that's how they feel and um if anything they have been very supportive in my upbringing they always said like if you want to search at some point of course you know you can do that so they've been very supportive with that i want to give them that but it's not Talking about the reunion in detail, such as with you, it feels more safe to do it with other adoptees. And in particular, those who are uh, either have been in reunion themselves, but even more so those who, well, to be honest, to share my take, <laughs> to mm -hmm. say it, to put it that way, on yeah. adoption. So they know about it, they've seen the photos, and uh, um, yeah, so so they, they've been told, because again, I didn't want them to, to learn it from Facebook first. Sure, sure, I understand that. I posted not long after, so one could argue that, well, <laughs> it was, it's a matter of minutes, but uh, um, yeah, so, so, so they know, and yeah. Um, they are, I was going to say, of course, it's not of course, but they are supportive of, you know, me going back to, to see them. But, um, and they're like, oh, when's that going to happen? I mean, they're not the only one who asked. Yeah. I, said, yeah. Well, I have no idea because I don't have the money. And right now I'm not going to plan a, a, a journey. I have zero idea when it's going to happen. Right. Um, Just someday you want to do it. You could do yeah. a start a GoFundMe. I have seen other adoptees um, fundraise. Well, actually, that has been, there has been, there is a kind of a Norwegian version of, you, you know, the video you commented it on, like what language are you speaking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that video, the link up there is to like a Norwegian version of GoFundMe. I mean, oh international people can also donate to it but the text is in Norwegian and I have an American she's an expat she's married to Norwegian here she made a GoFundMe because she has a lot of American yeah people on her Facebook list yeah. but it's not like thus far it is not a huge success but it has brought in some money so it's better than nothing obviously yeah but it is far from me being able to go anywhere yeah that much well, send me say. the links and i'll include them in the show notes so that if people want to contribute thank you can. absolutely thank you i would appreciate that yeah there's i mean it's there's an adoptee i know i can i'm blanking on her name right now um she's on tiktok she's on instagram she's everywhere and i think she had a podcast for a while called adoptee thoughts and she's the colombian adoptee and she actually had um her and several 
I think three other siblings were adopted to the United States. And yeah. this year in the summer, they, they have a GoFundMe and um, the one sister can't go, but her and two of her sisters are going to go meet their mother this year. And um, oh, that's great. so, yeah, it's, it's possible, you know, you just got to get the word out there. So, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm on it as much as, as much as I possibly can. I'm trying to, of course, save what I can yeah. from my my own but it's like due to the expenses i have i mean all you know every everything and anything i'm able to save matters so yeah. i'm not saying that but it's just like the way my life is set up it's like i would be i don't know how old before i <laughs> you know could um could go buy my own you know Ticket. savings so that's yeah. um yeah but um yeah and thankfully my mom is not she's not that old but also her context of living and this is not a matter of poor or not poor but yeah i mean her health has definitely been affected by not only uh regarding the situation with me but of course she did lose a child yes like she was murdered and then yes and then she has other you know, very heavy life experiences that she has now been able to get out of that has affected her. So now, before it was like, before I found them, it was like, oh, maybe I will die and not know who I look like. And maybe somewhere, some people are walking on the planet who look like me, but I don't know who they are. Or maybe they're, they're dead, but I don't know that either. But now it's more like, oh man, I hope I get to see her before yes she dies i understand completely so now there's this whole other issue here so it's like (laughs) there's never like yeah there's no rest yeah i understand um i have a a facebook group i created called i found a grave for adoptees that found a deceased birth parent and um there was a person that you know i allowed them to come into the group and they shared their stories she did have one phone conversation with her birth mother it was older and she was going to go see her and she passed away like before she had the chance to meet her but it was only one phone call she had with her and i'm like that is terrible 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 and i mean it's like torture in a way like i would give anything for that one phone call but to have that phone call and then know you're gonna go see them and then like the rug gets pulled out from under you you know that's just a terrifying thought so yeah yeah let's let's promote your gofundme and and see if we can help thank you you so much i'll i'll send the link to you i appreciate that a lot yeah definitely you should think about i know it's a big thing but if you, you don't even have to put your face out there but consider you know like a tiktok channel and you know i do things like i put my finger over the camera and it has a black screen and i just talk and you know you can share your story um they have new effects now that you can put in so you don't even have to do that there's like waterfalls and you know campfires and so that it's not your face if you don't want to put your face out there in that way but you can (laughs) share your story and there's a nice big community on there we're all pretty supportive of each other and um you know something to think about to help get your story out there and and spread your you know your fundraising efforts 
that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's been great talking to you. It's already you too. two hours. Thank so. you for taking the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I just posted yesterday. It's like one of the best things about doing this podcast is like I get to talk to people with like, you know, we all have these commonalities, you know, but like I get to talk to these fascinating people. Everybody has their own unique story. Yeah. You know, but we can all relate to each other because our lives all kind of start with loss and, you know, we all deal with those issues that come with adoption. So absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad we made this happen. Send me that link and I will include it in the show notes. And, um, thank you. It was great. So you take care of yourself. You too. uh, I followed your Facebook page with my page. So, you know, Oh, nice. Thank you. I don't know what you're saying half the time, but (laughs) no, uh, I was going to write in your email. Most of the time I, I mix up Norwegian and English when I yes. post things or something, but I am more now that I also connected to more adoptees on an international level. Yeah. I'm considering doing more of what I do uh in English so yeah. that actually people can understand <laughs> it or people can understand it. Yeah. Language barriers are fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. It was great talking to you, Natalie. You too. Take care. All right. You too. Bye.